Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather around, as Denver has said, around your word in a forum like this where we can dig into your truths. We pray that you would grant us the grace to be able to make these truths our own, and we ask that you would accomplish your purpose here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so what we'll be looking at uh, today and next Sunday, Lord willing, is a plurality of elders as a biblical model for church governance. Now, um, I just want to do uh, uh, just two administrative issues. So I think we should leave the questions and stuff for the end when the elders can feed those question, uh, field those questions. The other thing is... Um, I went and had a chat with Don because he's not here. And I said to him, look, you know, you don't have to go through those kinds of extreme measures to miss my teaching session. You know? Okay, so why are we looking at this? It's, it's because it's important to get it right. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, we read that Paul wrote to Timothy so that he would know how to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So we as the church of the living God need to support the truth according to the word of God. So how are we going to do this? We'll do it over two lessons. Lesson one, which was obviously this week, we're first going to establish the significance of elders. We're going to do this by firstly looking at the function and the role of an elder. And then what we'll do is we'll very briefly look at some incorrect views regarding church governance. And then we will look at the biblical teaching that shows that the elder, the overseer or bishop, and the shepherd or pastor all refer to the same person. Then, next week, lesson two, we'll cover two different things. The first thing that we'll do is we will detail the origin of the term elder. And we'll do this by looking at four different elements. Firstly, we'll look at the source of the word elder uh, from the Old Testament. Then we'll get an understanding of the term in the time of Christ. And then we'll look at how the term elder got introduced into the church. And then lastly, what we'll do is provide a brief synopsis of the term as it's used in the New Testament. Once we've covered that, we'll move on to confirming a plurality of elders as the biblical model for church governance. Firstly, we'll see that it is the biblical norm. Then, we'll look at the scripture that is often in used in defense of a singular pastor. And that's uh, the one of the messengers or the angeloi in uh, Revelation 1 to 3. And then what we'll do is we'll close out with a quick look at the benefits of conforming to the biblical norm of a plurality of elders for church governors. Okay, is that good? So, without further ado, 
let's get into establishing the significance of elders in the church. Let's look at their function and role. So now the New Testament has a lot to say about the office of an elder and the men who aspire to that office. By way of example, just look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. I've put it up there on the screen for you. But you're welcome to follow along in your Bible. If you aspire to the office of elder or overseer, and as I've said, we will establish later on that they refer to the same person, then you must be, look at that there, it says, above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, remember that one, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but you need to be gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Uh, you must manage your household well. You must be a new convert. And you must have a good reputation out there. And then if we look at another example, Titus 1, verse 5 to 9. So Titus 1, verse 5 to 9, again, we see that the elder must be, where does it start? Above reproach. Starts in the same place. The husband of one wife. He must have faithful children. He must be a good steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. But he must be hospitable, loving what's good. He must be sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, and then holding fast to the Word of God. Why? So that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict the truth. So the bar is high. I mean, you know, who is sufficient for these things? The office of elder is a calling. And I'm looking at the elders here. <laughs> God does not take it lightly. So we shouldn't either. The primary function of the elder is to take care of the church. 1 Timothy 3 verse 5 says, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So the elder is primarily a caretaker. This doesn't mean that he sweeps the floor and cleans the toilet. See what it says. How will he take care of the church of God? It's referring to the people of God. God's flock. The elder's primary function is to care for the flock of God. Another significant function or role of the elder is to oversee the functioning of the local church. And I've given you a few references there. In these references, the word oversee is variously translated as to rule or to have charge over. 
Look for argument's sake at 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, one of the reference there. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the law and give you instruction. So overseeing is another function of the elder. A third function or role of the elder is the responsibility of preaching and teaching. So besides taking care of the flock and exercising oversight over them, they also have the responsibility of preaching and teaching. Let me read 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So preaching and teaching is a critical function performed by the elders. Another thing that they're responsible for is to determine doctrinal issues, you know, as they arise from time to time. And then they need to proclaim the truth to the congregation. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 says that an overseer must be able to teach. And that's what we're talking about here. When there is a doctrinal issue or truth that needs to be brought across to the congregation, the elder must be able to teach that. Just as that verse says. Note that able to teach is the only qualification in that long list that I gave you earlier in 1 Timothy, which is related to his function. The others are all related to the man's character. You can go back and have a look. Lastly, the elder must be able to both exhort and refute. What do I mean here? What I mean is that Paul is setting up both a positive and a negative action here. Look at the text. Titus 1 verse 9. It says, speaking of both the elder and the overseer, if you look at the context, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So in a positive sense, he needs to be able to exhort the congregation in sound doctrine. And in a negative sense, he needs to be able to refute those who contradict the truth of the word of God. Elders or overseers are the teachers and leaders of the church. They are ultimately responsible to Christ or the flock of God. Their role is to declare and apply the commands of Christ to the whole church. And lastly, when members of the local body submit to these under-shepherds, then the leadership of Christ over the body of Christ is acknowledged. 
I want to repeat that. When members of the local body submit to these under-shepherds, then the headship of Christ over the body of Christ is acknowledged. Why is this? Because in that submission, they are, they the elders, are acknowledged as the human custodians or the stewards of Christ's headship over the church. Does that make sense? Okay. So that takes care of the function and role of the elder. What I want to do briefly now is just to cover some incorrect views of models of church governance. And to some of this might be a little contentious. Firstly, just to get into the discussion, I want to list three of the most common types of church governance in denominations. Church governance is sometimes also called church polity. Not politics, but polity. Polity speaks of the form of governance or constitution of a group or an organization. But what you need to understand now, this morning, is that the purpose behind this presentation is not to go into the details uh, of the forms of governance. Neither is it to critique them or pull them apart. Rather, the idea is to look at what the Bible says about church governance. Okay, so the three different types. The first one is Episcopal church governance. Now the term must not be confused with the Episcopalian church or Episcopalian denominations. We're not talking about a denomination here. We're talking about forms of church governance. So you can have a non-Episcopalian denomination still adopting an Episcopal system of governance. So what is Episcopal church governance? Episcopal church governance aligns itself to a hierarchical structure of bishops that progressively answer to higher levels of bishops. And then ultimately, there's an archbishop at the top who has ultimate authority. Who can think of an example? That's good. Roman Catholic Church, good example. Interestingly, another good example is Reach SA. They also operate like that. Um, okay, the next one is congregational. Again, not to be confused with a congregational church. We're talking about a congregational form of governance. And this basically gives the church members the power to make decisions in the church. The third one is Presbyterian. This form of governance is characterized by a set of elected representatives. Sometimes they call them an assembly or a church board. These then answer to a higher assembly of representatives, or you know, sometimes they call that a presbytery. Uh, these can then be grouped into synods uh, or a general assembly, you know, as you go further up the train. Interestingly, this form of governance grew out 
of a reaction against the single bishop model or the episcopal system. You know, because they were afraid of the abuse of power. As I said, I've listed them here, but we are not going to, be, to look at these in detail because that is not the focus of this presentation. The real focus this morning is on what the Bible teaches. And biblically, the focal point of church leadership, leadership is the elder. One of the problems with modern cultures are with their sort of heritages of democracy and congregational church governance is that they often tend to view the elder rule model with suspicion. People see the potential for abuse of power and things like that. But that's in modern cultures. Here in Africa, the problem is different. Our problem is that the single authority pastor model uh, is rife, which has a great potential for abuse, you can imagine. Okay, so instead of looking at the popular types of church governance, I want to be a little bit more generic in describing the various models. And what this will enable you to do is look at any particular church and see where they fall. And then you can measure them up against scripture. The first one is where the elders are authorized by the church members. Okay, so which one is that in the three popular ones? Congregational. So, sorry, yeah. So that's the, the first one is where you're authorized by the church members. The second one is where the elders are authorized by the deacon. Now you can see the problem that we have with these two models. The problem is majority rule. You see there's like a one man, one vote policy that goes on. And since there are always more members than elders, one would hope so, obviously you've got a different problem, the members will hold the authority. The same goes for deacons. In many churches, there are more deacons than elders. In fact, this is easily the case. Okay. So obviously, the same goes for deacons. Because usually, um, not, not in LHCC, but usually there are more deacons than elders in the church. But what happens? The deacons become the de facto steward of God. Of the elders. Uh, this is not what we see happening in the early church in the book of Acts. The third one is where the pastor, a single guy, is the supreme authority and he's assisted by the elders. The problem with this is that he is seen as the one who knows the mind of God. And then when he's absent, the whole system falls. I mean, what does this mean? It makes him the de facto steward of God. And again, we don't see this in Scripture. As mentioned earlier, next, next week we'll look at one portion of Scripture where this third model is argued. 
And that's in the book of Revelation. In the first three chapters where it speaks of the angel way or the messenger. Okay. So that covers the three incorrect governance models. One, where the members are in authority. Two, where the deacons are in authority. And three, where there is a single guy top who has supreme authority. As I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these models. We'd rather be going to look at what the Bible teaches. So I've just briefly touched on the incorrect models, but I want to now get to what is probably the most important aspect of the building blocks leading up to sort of our assertion uh, of the plurality of elders for church government. The third and final aspect. From a biblical perspective, the fact that the elder, the overseer, and the shepherd all refer to the same person. How are we going to do that? Well, firstly, we'll do that by going through the three different terms individually as they are used in the Bible, in a little bit more detail. And then secondly, we're going to look at some key scriptures to help us understand the relationship between these terms. So let's start with the elder. It's the Greek word presbyteros from which we get the word in English, presbyter, which means elder. As you may have guessed, the various Presbyterian denominations and churches get their name from this word. The term is used about 70 times in the New Testament, and it has reference to someone of mature age. This is the primary meaning. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter in sermon is citing Joel 2, verse 28, your old men shall dream dreams. Remember that one? That's the term, old men. It's the same word for elder. About 20 times in the book of Acts in the epistles, the term is used to refer to a group of mature spiritual leaders who have responsibility for the church. I've given you a number of references there. We don't have time to go into them now, but we do touch on some of them next week as we trace the term through from Old Testament into New Testament and also you know, unpacking those various aspects there, its use in the New Testament. You'll see that the emphasis is always on leadership and spiritual maturity. So what you can see from the term is that the emphasis is who the man is, a, a mature spiritual leader in the church. Next, we want to look at overseer or episkopos. Our English word bishop is the same word. It is also sometimes translated as guardian. It's used five times in the New Testament, and I've given you the five references there. Maybe you want to write them down. In one of those references, the last one on the list, 1 Peter 2, verse 25, 
Jesus Christ is called the Episcopos of our souls or the guardian or overseer of our souls. This stems from the fact that he has the clearest overview of us. He understands us best. He is best positioned to rule over us. In the other four references there, it always refers to leaders in the church. In the secular Greek culture, this term, episkopos, or overseer, was almost equivalent to the word elder. It referred to a person, listen carefully, who was appointed by the emperor to lead a new or a captured city-state. So with this term, two ideas were being communicated. One, that this overseer was responsible to a superior power. Okay, so he wasn't completely uh, an authority in himself. And two, it signified the introduction of a new order. So the Gentile converts to Christianity would immediately understand the use and the meaning of the term. So what we see from this term, overseer, is that it emphasizes what the man does. Remember, elder speaks of who the man is. Overseer speaks of what the man does. So I've covered elder and overseer. Now, let's take a look at shepherd. This is the Greek word poimen. poimen. The words shepherd and pastor are synonymous terms. They mean the same thing. Pastor, this comes from the Latin. The term is used numerous times in the, in the New Testament and it often refers to Christ. By way of example, let's look at Hebrews 13 verse 20. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Maybe you want to just go there in your Bible. This is the benediction at the end of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verse 20 and 21. I'll read it now. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, that is, Poimen, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what is emphasized here is pastoral care and feeding, but also leadership. So here, with the word shepherd, the man's attitude is emphasized. This is not about who he is or what he does, but rather about how or with what attitude he goes about doing it. So, to summarize the three terms, the elder or presbyteros, 
is who he is. The overseer, or episkopos, is what he does. And the shepherd, or poimen, is how he ministers. Okay, what I want to do now, and this is the last thing I'm going to be doing this morning, is to look at three key scriptures that will help us understand the relationship between these terms, elder, overseer, and shepherd. To start the process, I need you to look at the diagram on the screen. Now, if there are some of you here that are taking notes, I suggest you actually make this sketch in your notebook like that. Nice and big, so that you can write some stuff on it. Just let me know when you've done that. Some of you draw slowly. Okay, we happy? Can we move on? Okay, so the key scriptures. You want to, you want to go back? Okay, everybody happy? So the three key scriptures are the following. The first one is Acts 20 verse 28. The second one is 1 Peter 2.25. And the third one is 1 Peter 5 verse 1 to 4. I won't read them now. We'll read them as we go along. Okay, so those three scriptures. Okay, so... The first scripture that we're going to look at is Acts 20, verse 28. In chapter 20, we see Paul on his way to Jerusalem. But he didn't want to stop at Ephesus. Ephesus was along the way, but he didn't want to stop there because he knew it was going to take quite a bit of time. So he went directly to Miletus. And then if you read in chapter 20, verse 17, it says, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Who did he call to him? The elders of the church. Okay. And without sort of us reading all of it, Paul describes from verse 18 to 27 his ministry during the time that he spent with the Ephesians. Thank you. He served them with humility he declared what was profitable to them. He taught from house to house. Uh, he testified of repentance and faith uh, and of the gospel of God's grace. And, uh, and now he was on his way to Jerusalem where bonds and afflictions await him and that they won't see him face to face again. But then he closes out with, but that he was innocent before men because he declared the whole purpose of God to them. And then he gets to verse 28, which reads, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then he goes on to warn them about the savage wolves that will draw the disciples away and so on. But look at this verse more closely. Remember... He is speaking to the elders at Ephesus. We see that in verse 17, remember? And he's saying to them, Be on guard for the flock of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, shepherd the church of God, 
So we see in this portion of text that all three terms are used to refer to the same men. They were elders, they were appointed as overseers, and they needed to shepherd the flock of God. So what you do in your sketch, in your notebook, is you sort of draw a bar. Is it clear there? So you sort of draw a bar across the top, but across all three terms. And you write in there Acts 20 verse 28. Guys happy there? Want to move on? Right, so let's look at the second scripture. 1 Peter 2, verse 25. I'll read it. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Here he is speaking of Christ. We actually looked at this a little bit earlier. Here, shepherd, which is poimen in the Greek, is pastor, right? And the Greek word here for guardian is episkopos, or overseer. So in this scripture we see that shepherd and overseer are referring to the same person. Remember that Christ is our example. So as under-shepherds, that, that is what we aspire to as well. Okay, so it's referring to the same person. So now back to the sketch. Now in the middle, what you do is you draw a bar across just the two terms, overseer and shepherd. And you write in there 1 Peter 2, verse 25. Okay. Now for the third scripture, this is 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. Um, I've got it up on the screen there. Let me read it. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here you can see Peter addressing the elders and telling him that they must shepherd the flock of God and that they must exercise oversight, which in the Greek is episkopeo, which has its root in episkopos, or overseer. So again, we have all three terms referring to the same people. So back to the sketch. At the bottom, you can draw a bar across all three terms. And write in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. Now, there are more scriptures that we could look at, um, but they, they give the same outcome. But I picked these three because if you're ever sitting, you know, having coffee or something, and the, the discussion arises, hopefully what you'll be able to do is picture this picture, and you can actually take someone to the scriptures that speak around this topic. So what's my point? My point is, based on the text, 
the three terms elder, overseer or bishop, and shepherd or pastor is referring to the same person. The elder is who he is, the overseer is what he does, and the shepherd is how he ministers. And the Bible simply does not describe any higher earthly authority outside the local assembly than that of the elder overseer shepherd. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs> okay, so what I want to do now is quickly recap. I don't know, is that clock correct? Because if it is, we may want to skip the recap and open for questions. So, okay. Okay, well, um, as I said, you can ask the questions, but the questions are to the elders. <laughs> Shantan. Can you hear me? <laughs> Okay, I can't hear next, myself. Next oh, there, 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 I can, I can hear myself. It's very important for me to hear me. Uh, <laughs> quickly, brother, um, tell me in your studies, and I don't know if you went that far. Did you pick up a difference, and is there a difference between a church being elder-led versus a church under elder rule? So it is elder-led versus elder rule. Um, is there a difference? Um, or do we leave that question for next week? Lead versus elder rule. Um, yeah, so, so, do, so one has the idea of elders leading the assembly and, and major decision is still made collectively by the church body, um, whereas the other one would more point to um, congregation have no say what the elders decides that is the alpha and omega. So it's more elder rule, they rule, um, church as follows, or in other one is the elder lead and the church follows, but it's more following versus submission in a sense. So one is the elder rule, one is the elder lead. So I must admit, in my studies, uh, the concept of rule is you know rule and guardianship and overseeing is more of a rule kind of you know uh, a, a plurality of elders ruling, especially when they are because I mean when do you need somebody to rule? It's when there are contentious matters that arise. And then a person needs to be able to go to the scriptures and then with authority uh, place those scriptures before the congregation and say this is what the scriptures are saying. And like I, like I said earlier on in the presentation, when we submit to the elders, we acknowledge Christ as head of the church. So in the same way that Christ rules the church, I would say... If he's looking for a specific text, then the answer is no. Uh, but by implication, there's uh, both are present in the scriptures. For instance, in Acts, um, the elders don't actually make the decision. Um, the the church brings finances to the elders. They make the decision what happens with the finances. But it's the church who does the collection and things like that. With regards to leading, you see in the apostolic epistles that it is the authority of the elder or pastors, plural, 
that stand out over the congregation making decisions. Um, a decision whether a church is elder led or elder run that is determined by the elders. And so, um, yeah, there's no specific verse to determine that. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I don't. I don't see that hand. Okay, so we all like application, right? So now, okay, so to Denver, if she he wants to. So for us that do have brothers and sisters uh, at churches, you have the, as you mentioned, the maybe the false or the incorrect models of how elders or how that leadership um, are meant to rule or lead in the church. If we have conversations with them or we leave them, what do we do? How do we challenge them uh, in terms of the system they have versus what at least we, we subscribe to here at LHBC? Just, just some pointers, at least one. Denver and Cameron. Anyway. So I'll, I'll make a brief statement and then we can actually, then we can actually answer. So I think the important thing is you can get bogged down in man's description of things uh, you know, and go down all kinds of rabbit holes, you need to bring a person back to the scriptures. And that's why I put that, that, that little block, the diagram. Because if you can see that, you can see, but hang on a minute, the Bible speaks about uh, a shepherd and an overseer and an elder. It's, it's speaking about the same person. And anything outside of that, you're actually just imagining, you know, coming up with, okay, but over to, over to Denmark. I was going to say the same thing. Um, the The goal is not to bring conviction to them. That's the work of the Spirit. Um, ultimately, whether it's theology or church polity, Scripture needs to bring the conviction. The God, God, the Holy Spirit needs to be able to bring light where there's um, not so much clarity. So you just point them to the passages. I think it's absolutely clear um, that the, these verses clearly indicate that there's plurality of elders. I don't know if you mentioned about Titus 1 verse 5 says, uh, Paul says to, to Titus, this is why I've left you in Crete, uh, so that you could establish uh, uh, what, mm, what is lacking um, and or put into place what is lacking, establish plural elders in every single city. So the goal has always been plural elders for every city. Uh, for every church within every city. So Bible is overwhelmingly clear on that issue. I think it's tradition that allows us to think in terms of either single pastor rule or congregational rule or whatever it is, um, uh, which means we are not actually submitting to Scripture. So that's where the starting point is, and that's where we want to point them to. Um, it's obviously the authority of Scripture. So in regards to elder, you said elder, um, uh, so who he is, and then you mentioned he is someone of mature age. Um, if you look at Timothy, Timothy was um, youth, yeah, in relation to that time. So would you say there's, what, what age would you put um, to be an elder if you say elder is someone of mature age? Okay, so that... So the idea, when I brought up the idea of someone of mature, mature age, I was bringing across the meaning of the term, not the understanding of the term as it's used in the church. So 
that's how the term grew and what it actually means, you know. An elder is someone who's old, effectively. But really, the idea that is being brought across is someone who is mature spiritually and who is able to lead. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person must be old. They, they must be a mature believer, just like one of the qualifications is not a new convert. 